Those who cannot learn from history are doomed to repeat it. But before you can truly learn from the tales of our past, you must first understand them. And you're in luck because you found the one and only show that dives deep into the historical figures of our past and how key events have shaped the world that we live in today. You're tuned to History Shouldn't Be a Mystery. Right here on WRFH, Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. With your host of today's show, Connor Bolanos. Welcome back, everyone, to another week of History Shouldn't Be a Mystery, the first show that we have for this semester. And we're going to be talking today about Peter the Great, the czar of Russia, who really turned Russia from what was considered a more backwards European nation at the time into a truly powerful Eastern European and continental power as they fought the Swedish, the Turks, and the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth and created a vast empire that stretched all the way from from Asia to Europe. So we're going to be talking about Peter today, who was really instrumental in implementing these reforms and setting the stages and the foundations of what would become the Russian Empire. Now, Peter was born on June 9th, 1672, and as with most people we've talked about on the show, wasn't really expected to be the heir to the throne of Russia. But thankfully for Peter, or thankfully for Russia, I guess, considering the capabilities of these other heirs, Peter would make his way to the throne of Russia. When his father, Tsar Alexis, died on January, the 29th of January, 1676, he left the sovereignty of the state to Peter's elder brother, who was considered very weak and sickly, Theodore III. Throughout the reign of Theodore, the government was actually largely run, though, by Artemon Mativ, an enlightened friend of Alexis, the former king Peter's father, who really ran the government while Theodore kind of just sat there more so as a puppet king. Eventually, though, in, 18, in 1682, Fyodor would die airless, and as a result of that, a dispute arose between the Miroslavsky and the Narishkin family, who were the, respectively the family of the first wife of the Tsar Alexis and the second wife of the Tsar Alexis, and they were disputing over who should inherit the throne, either Peter or his other half-brother, Ivan V of Russia, who was technically next in line for the throne. However, Ivan V was considered chronically ill and of a more infirm mind, meaning that he just didn't really have it all up there. So the uh, Boyar Duma, which was the Council of Russian Nobles, chose the 10-year-old Peter to become the Tsar, with his mother acting as his regent until he reached of age. Now, in Russian tradition, this arrangement had to be brought before the people of Moscow, but it was ratified by pretty much everyone there. Sophia, one of Alexis's daughters from his first marriage, though, led a rebellion of the Streltsy, which is one of Russia's more elite military corps, in, in uh, April to May of 1682. In the subsequent conflict, some of Peter's relatives and friends ended up being murdered, including Mativ, who we mentioned earlier, was his father's um, friend who ruled in place of Theodore, pretty much. And he was also, though, one of Peter's greatest benefactors, his greatest teachers, who really helped him um, assert himself and learn how to rule. However, he did perish in the fighting. And it was here where Peter witnessed some of these major acts of political violence, which would really shape his rule in a sense, as he would come to distrust uh, powerful organizations, which would become central to part of the reason why he decided to centralize the Russian government. The Streltsy, though, made it possible for Sofia and the Miroslavskys uh, and their allies to insist that Peter and Ivan be, co- be proclaimed the joint czars, with Ivan being acclaimed as the senior forcing Peter to be the junior of the two. 
Sophia would then act as regent during the minority of the two kings and exercised all power for that time. For seven years, she ruled as a near autocrat with almost no one being able to contest her power. A large hole was even cut in the back of the dual-seated throne used by Ivan and Peter, and Sophia would sit behind the throne and listen as Peter and Ivan conversed with the nobles, feeding them information and giving them responses to questions and problems. Now, Peter wasn't particularly bothered by the fact that Sophia was ruling. As, as a child, he was more engaged in pastimes such as shipbuilding and sailing, playing mock battles with his toy army. And during this time, Peter's mother, mother sought to force him to adopt a more conventional approach, though, to this. And instead of being more laid back, his mother wanted him to assert a bit more authority. And one step to this, she thought, was to have him be married, which happened in 1689 to Edoxia Lufonkina. The marriage was a failure, though, and 10 years later, Peter forced his wife to become a nun and thus freed himself from the union between the two of them. By the summer of 1689, Peter's mother had finally gotten through to him, and at the age of 17, he wanted to, to actually take power from his half-sister, Sophia, who had been ruling for years in its stead. But her position was thankfully to Peter's advantage, weakened by two unsuccessful Crimean campaigns against both the Crimean Khanate and the Ottoman Empire, as they were trying to stop Crimean Tartar raids into Russia's more southern lands. When she learned of Peter trying to usurp her spot, though, Sophia conspired with some of the leaders of the Streltsy, who brought her into power in the first place, who, who were also responsible, though, for the continual arousing disorder and dissent within Russia. Peter was warned by others from the Streltsy, though, and escaped in the middle of the night to the impenetrable monastery of Troitsitsergivia Lavra, where he slowly gathered adherents who, who he perceived would win the power struggle. Sophia was eventually overthrown, though, with Peter and Ivan continuing to act as Kozars. Peter would force Sophia to enter a convent, where she gave up her name and her position as a member of the royal family. Still, Peter could not actually acquire total control of Russian affairs. Power was instead exercised by his mother, as he she was still regent at the time. And it was only when she died in 1694 that Peter, at the age of 22, became an independent sovereign. Now, at this point, though, Ivan V was also still co-ruler, but he was largely ineffective and really a pushover, which allowed Peter to do whatever he wanted. And any potential obstacle, though, was removed when Ivan died in 1696, when Peter was 24 years old. Having ascended to the throne, Peter implemented sweeping reforms that aimed at modernizing Russia. Now, given the sheer length of these reforms, it's incredibly difficult to discuss all of them in a 22-minute time span. So we're really going to be condensing most of these down. Some will unfortunately be forgotten. So I encourage all of you, if you have the desire to, to look at more to it yourself, the various reforms that Peter did. But we're going to go over some more of the important and most noticeable ones. Now, these sweeping reforms were heavily influenced by his advisors who came from Western Europe, and Peter reorganized the Russian army along the lines of these Western powers, and he also dreamed of making Russia a maritime power, something that resulted from his childhood fantasies of shipbuilding and whatnot. He faced a lot of opposition, though, to these policies at home, but these were brutally suppressed rebellions, and which were being committed by the Streltsy, Bashkirs, Astrakhan, and the greatest civil uprising of his reign, the Bolivin Rebellion, all were, however, put down. Peter implemented social modernization in an absolute manner, though, by introducing Western dress to his court and requiring courtiers, state officials, and the military to all shave their beards and adopt more modern clothing styles. One means of achieving this end was the introduction of taxes for long beards and robes in September of 1698 to help encourage this transition. But in his process to westernize Russia, he wanted members of his family to also marry other European royalty as a way to further ingrain himself into the European uh, political sphere. 
In the past, his ancestors had pretty much scoffed at this idea and kept to marrying within Eastern Europe. But Peter was able to successfully negotiate a marriage, unlike his previous ancestors, with Frederick William, the Duke of Corwin, resulting in his marriage to Anna Ivanova. He used this wedding in order to launch his new capital, which he had recently conquered from the Swedish, St. Petersburg, where he had already ordered the, built, the building of projects of more westernized palaces and buildings. And to do this, he hired various Italian and German architects, shunning the more Russian, Eastern European style of architecture that dominated the former capital of Moscow. As a part of his reforms, Peter also started an industrialization effort that was relatively slow at first, but eventually successful. Russian exports and manufacturing were largely based at the time on mining and lumber industries. And as a result of his uh, reforms, though, Russia came to export more iron and wood than pretty much any other country in the world, thanks to his expansion upon these already existing and strong industries. To improve his nation's position on the sea, though, in regards to becoming a maritime power, Peter sought to gain more maritime outlets in the form of ports. His only outlet at the time was pretty much the White Sea at Angelisk. The Baltic Sea at the time was pretty much controlled by Sweden in the north, who, although defeated in the Great Northern War, still possessed a pretty powerful fleet. And the Black Sea, but which was blocked off by the Bosphorus Strait, which was controlled by the Ottoman Empire. To secure the Black Sea, Peter would engage in several conflicts with the Ottomans and the Tartars to the south, securing Azvaz, as well as numerous campaigns to take the fortress located there. Peter then would also travel across Europe to study ship designs, and upon returning to Moscow in November 1695, began building the largest navy that Russia had ever undertaken, launching about 30 ships against the Ottomans by the time war came around in 1696, finally capturing the fortress of Azov and securing the Black Sea for Russia. For anyone just tuning in, you're listening to History Shouldn't Be a Mystery with your host, Connor Bolanos. The show where we dive deep into the historical figures of our past to better understand our present. Welcome back, everyone. For all of you just tuning in, the history shouldn't be a mystery. We just got done talking about the ascension of Peter and his early life um, to the throne of the Russian Empire. Now, we're going to be talking about how Peter used, his dip used diplomatic means in order to strengthen Russia's position across Europe and also in securing aid against the Ottoman Empire, who, while was a bit declining at the time, as we talked about in the Ottoman Decline Thesis, um, at least militarily, um, they were still a relatively important power, especially when considering that Russia didn't have much of a black fleet, Balt black fleet presence and the fact that the terrain's very mountainous considering the Caucasus, which makes any large-scale invasion very incredibly difficult. Now, Peter knew, as I mentioned, that he couldn't really face the Ottoman Empire alone. And in 1697, he traveled somewhat incognito to Western Europe on an 18-month-long journey with a large Russian delegation, which was at the time called the Grand Embassy, using a fake name which allowed him to escape social and diplomatic events since he was usually taller than most. Peter was insanely tall, far above people, and extremely recognizable. So it was really hard for him to escape kind of these social events or for him to get by incognito. But thankfully, considering that he was largely unknown in Western Europe at the time and using a fake name, he was able to get away from a lot of these events. But able to get away from these, he was able to seek aid from other European monarchs. But a lot of Peter's hopes were deaths. France was a traditional ally of the Ottoman Sultan, and Austria was eager to maintain peace in the East while conducting its own wars in the West at the time, mainly the Seven Years' War and wars against Prussia. Nevertheless, though, the Grand Embassy continued on. While visiting the Netherlands, Peter learned much about life in Western Europe. This is where he got a lot of his shipbuilding uh, techniques from, 
and also where he got a lot of these western um styled uh culture cultural uh affinities that he brought with him to russia such as the more shaved beards and the styles of dress and while in Amsterdam, thanks to the mediation of Nicolas Witsen, the mayor of Amsterdam and an expert on Russia at the time, the Tsar was actually given the opportunity to gain practical experience in the largest shipyard in the world, belonging to the Dutch East India Company. And for a period of four months, the Tsar actually worked as an employee at the shipyard as he helped lay down various ships, specifically the ship the Peter and Paul. During his stay, the Tsar engaged with many skilled workers such as the builders of locks, fortresses, shipwrights, seamen, and a bunch of various officials who gave him the knowledge needed to go back to Russia and to truly modernize the navy. However, the Grand Embassy was cut short in 1698 when he was forced to rush home due to another rebellion by the Streltsy. The rebellion was easily crushed, however, before Peter even returned home from England, which he was visiting at the time. Of the Tsar's troops, only one of them was actually ever killed. But nevertheless, Peter acted ruthlessly towards the mutineers, and over 1,200 of the rebels were tortured and executed, and Peter ordered the that their bodies be publicly exhibited as a warning to all future conspirators. The Strelsi were thus disbanded, some of the rebels were then even deported to Siberia, and the individual they sought to put on the throne, Peter's half-sister Sophia, was once again forced back into a convent. In 1698, Peter sent a delegation to Malta, to observe the training and the ability of the Knights of the Malta and their fleet. And it was considered at one point a joint venture between the two of them in invading the Turks and the possibility of Malta actually as a future Russian naval base. Following his war with the Ottomans, Peter would go and, and embark on with the aid of Denmark, um, the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth, and various other players, the Great Northern War. Now, I previously mentioned the Great Northern War in both my episode about uh, Charles VII and all of Sweden, and also earlier on when we talked about his acquisition of St. Petersburg. So we're going to now talk about what exactly that war was in a bit more detail, at least from the Russian side. Now, after making temporary peace with the Ottomans, in which he was allowed to capture the Fort of Azov, which granted him a lot of control over the Black Sea, he sought to acquire control of the, Bal of the Baltic Sea, which had been t pretty much owned by the Swedish Empire for half a century at this point. Peter would declare war on Sweden, which was at the time led by the younger King Charles XII. Sweden was also opposed at this point by Denmark, Saxony, the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth, eventually even Britain at, as uh, the war turned against Swedish favor. Russia was ill-prepared, however, to fight the Swedish at the beginning, and their first attempts at seizing the Baltic coast ended in disaster at the Battle of Narva in 1700. In the conflict, the forces of Charles XII, rather than employ a slow, methodical siege on the city, actually attacked immediately using a blinding snowstorm to their advantage. Taken off guard, Charles XII pretty much captured the entire garrison, and after that, for decided to con concentrate his forces against the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth, giving Peter some time to reorganize the Russian army, something that probably wasn't the best decision on behalf of Charles XII, since it was the Russian army that would soon prove to be its his biggest uh, threat. While the Poles fought the Swedes, Peter founded the Saint city of St. Petersburg in 1703 in Germanland, a province of the Swedish Empire on the Baltic coast that he at this time captured. It was named after his patron Saint St. Peter, and he forbade the building of the building of stone edifices outside St. Petersburg, which he intended at the time to become Russia's new capital. If you're not reading and learning history, then you're doomed to repeat it. For all of you just tuning in, you're listening to History Shouldn't Be a Mystery with your host, Connor Bolanos. 
Welcome back, everyone who's just tuning in to History Shouldn't Be a Mystery. We're talking about um, the Great Northern War at the moment. We just got done talking about the earlier phases of the war and Sweden's uh, victory over the Russian forces, who are now at this time pulling back to retreat and reorganize, while Peter also focuses on the new capital of St. Petersburg. Now, while Sweden um, was distracted within Poland, something which they did um, until King Augustus the Strong of Poland abdicated in 1706, uh, Charles XII would then turn his attention to Russia, invading it once again in 1708. After, crush, after crossing into Russia, Charles defeated Peter once more like at Navra, at Govolchin in July. In the Battle of Lesnaya, Charles suffered his first loss to Peter, though, after he crushed a group of Swedish reinforcements marching over from the city of Riga. Deprived of his reinforcements, Charles was forced to abandon his proposed march on Moscow, considering that he was now outnumbered and such a move would have put him too far into enemy territory. Charles XII, however, refused to retreat to Poland or back to Sweden and instead moved south to invade Ukraine. Peter withdrew his army south, employing scorched earth tactics, destroying anything along the way that could assist the Swedish, mainly foodstuff. Deprived of local supplies, though, um, at this time, the, a lot of armies in Europe relied on, sa on scavenging and foraging local areas for all their food and also to pay their armies. So with uh, these scorched earth tactics, these Swedish forces were pretty much ill-supplied all the time. And so the Swedish army was forced to halt its advance in 1708-1709, merely simply lacking the supplies to continue onwards. In the summer of 1709, however, they resumed their efforts to capture Ukraine, culminating the Battle of Polteva on the 27th of June. The battle was a decisive defeat for the Swedish forces, ending Charles's campaign in Ukraine and forcing him south to seek refuge in the Ottoman Empire. Russia had defeated pretty much at what this time was one of the world's best militaries, and the victory overturned the idea across Europe that Russia was military incompetent. And after Charles's defeat, Tsar Peter would also move into Warsaw and restore uh, Augustus II as King of Poland. With Charles XII exiled from the Ottoman Empire, Peter took his armies north, where they took the Swedish provinces of Livonia, which is the northern half of modern Latvia, and the southern half of modern Estonia, and drove the Swedes back into Finland. In 1714, the new Russian fleet won the Battle of Gangut, where, and as a result, most of Finland was occupied by the Russians, with uh, Swedish control now being pretty much uh, decimated. In 1716 and 1717, the Tsar once again would go back to the Netherlands, where he would continue his travels throughout the Austrian Netherlands and France, where Peter obtained the existence in the war of the Electorate of Hanover and the Kingdom of Prussia against Sweden. At the time, the Tsar's navy was powerful enough um, that the Russians could pretty much penetrate Sweden itself if they really wanted to. However, Charles XII refused to yield, and, did not make and Sweden did not make peace until his death in battle in 1718. After the battle near Åland, Sweden made peace with all powers but Russia by 1720. But in 1721, the Treaty of Nystad ended the Great Northern War, with Russia acquiring the rich provinces of Ingria, Estonia, Livonia, and a substantial portion of Karelia. In return, however, Russia would pay 2 million riksdaler and surrendered most of Finland back to Sweden. But the Tsar retained some Finnish lands closer to St. Petersburg, which he would make his capital with the formal acquisition of the land in 1712. The latter years of Peter's rule following the Great Northern War were marked by more reform in Russia. On the 22nd of October, 1721, soon after peace was made with Sweden, he officially was proclaimed the Emperor of all Russia, becoming the first uh, real Russian emperor to exist in the line, a title which would continue on following his 
death to all of his successors and heirs thereafter. But outside of these more domestic reforms and his centralization of power as emperor of all Russia, he also expanded Russia more eastwards. In 1717, Alexander Bekhovich Cherkovsky led the first Russian expedition into Central Asia towards the Khanate of Kiva. The expedition ended in a complete disaster, though, when the entire expeditionary force was slaughtered. In 1718, Peter would then go on to establish various colleges in place of the old central agencies of government, including foreign affairs, war, navy expense, income, justice, and inspection. Later's brother added, but these various colleges helped uh, improve the capacity and the efficiency of Peter's bureaucracy in government. With more domestic reforms under his belt, Peter then once again would strike southwards. With the powerful Persian Safavid Empire heavily declining, Peter launched the Russo-Persian War of 1722, otherwise known as the Persian Expedition of Peter the Great, which drastically increased Russian influence for the first time in the Caucasus and Caspian Sea region, and preventing the Ottoman Empire from making territorial gains in the region. After considerable success in the capture of many provinces and cities in the Caucasus and northern mainland Persia, the Safavids were forced to hand over to Russia the territory comprising of Derbent, Shirvan, Gilan, Mazandaran, Baku, and Astrabad, mainly uh, these territories that lay within the Caucasus Mountains. However, within 12 years, all the territories would be ceded back to Persia due to defeats to Nader Shah, the following successive king of the dynasty. Unfortunately for Peter, in the winter of 1723, Peter, whose overall health at the time was never that robust, began having problems with his urinary tract and bladder, and in 1724, a team of doctors performed surgery releasing upwards of four pounds of blocked urine. And as a result of this, he just kept having successive medical issues until finally in early... January of 1725, he was struck with uremia, and unfortunately for Peter, this really would not work out for him, and he would die between the time of 4 and 5 in the morning on the 8th of February, 1725, upon which an autopsy would reveal that his bladder had been infected with gangrene. At the age of 52 years and 7 months old, and having reigned for 42 years, Peter truly reformed and modernized Russia, making it into a incredibly centralized and absolutist state, but also the new power to the European and Asian political theaters. Thanks for tuning in to yet another episode of History Shouldn't Be a Mystery. Join us next week as we delve right back into another historical figure from our past. And that's all the time we have left today for you history buffs. There's many more historical figures from our past to discuss, so be sure to join us same time, same place, next week for a new edition of History Shouldn't Be a Mystery with your host, Connor Bolanos.